This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 118. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Uh, so today we are doing a mailbag. Uh, so not too much to set up. There, there's hockey going on, but it doesn't involve the Leafs, so it doesn't really happen. Uh, <laughs> and we're just going to talk about the Leafs because that's what we're here for. Yes, we got a bunch of questions. I don't know how I always go through this psychological process where I solicit questions for the mailbag. And then after like two minutes, I'm like, oh man, I hope we get enough questions and people are interested. And then one hour later, I'm like, we have so many fucking questions. And so that has happened once again. We have, I think, 49 by count. We are going to do our best to answer as many as we possibly can. We can't do like a three-hour podcast, so if it goes totally off, we will have to concede defeat. But we're going to give it a shot, so yeah. Um... So first up, from Mahesh in NYCTO, how do you think the Leafs should transform their bottom six, assuming their top six of Hyman, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, Mikhaev, stays intact? Swap Johnson and Mikhaev if you wish. Who would be your ideal targets? Um, So my quick answer to that is uh, whoever's cheapest, I guess. Yeah. Uh, We we don't have the luxury of, of really being too picky there um you know in terms of transforming the bottom six i'm not really sure we can do a whole lot to transform it per se as opposed to maybe just make it you know slightly better than it was i suspect that a transformation to riff on what you said of the bottom six is going to be from more to less expensive because we'll be trying to use the money to upgrade a defense i don't think that we're gonna really upgrade that group um, I mean, in terms of who would be our ideal targets, I don't actually think that we'll be making another big acquisition there. Like, you know, there's always like the kind of the bargain bin buys. I think Tyler Ennis, for example, has played himself above this group now, which is too bad because I would have taken him back. But if we're dealing out Janssen, then I suspect it's because we're trying to make a big defense upgrade that will cost money, and so we're counting on Nick Robertson to slip into that slot. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to have to probably get used to this bottom six not being a whole lot to write home about. I'm hoping for more from Alex Kerfoot. I like him. I think he has more to give. So yeah, I, I hope that that's not too much of a punt on that question, but I really don't foresee a big acquisition coming in there. Yeah, and I mean... There... There's always these guys, you, you know, it's a common saying that you, you can target um, decent bottom-end players, and they're, they're plentiful. But I think people kind of often understate the differences between players at that level, mm-hmm. right? The difference between a third liner and a fourth liner, it really isn't enormous at all. Um, right. And I, I'm not in, as... There's obvious cases where, you know, there's some guys who are playing depth roles in other teams that are like, clearly very, very good, actually. Uh, Andre Kasha was an example of that for a while uh, before Boston acquired him and Anaheim started playing him, you know, higher up. Um, But in a lot of cases, and we saw this with Nick Shore, some guy who looks really good on paper for another team doesn't end up actually doing a whole lot for you yourself, right? Um, So, yeah, it's, you know, 
I'm not too fussed about the bottom uh, six right now. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality is, like, I don't think it's great. I mean, you know, it isn't great. That's the the choice the Leafs have made with their roster. But I don't see it being the the priority at this point. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and given the other kind of failings of this team, particularly on defense, it, it it's hard to really point and say, oh, we should really you know use some limited resources to acquire X person or Y person, um, because really all our resources have to focus on the the lower hanging fruit, which is the defense. And I think realistically, we're just going to try and find cheap guys who can play. And we have we have so many of those already. Yes. Um, for the sake of producing one name that I think might be of some interest, if Buffalo lets him go, Johan Larson would be an interesting little pickup. He's not a guy who's ever produced a ton of points, but he's had quite positive defensive impacts, and I think he could be a really useful guy in the bottom six of a team, as long as you don't expect too much from him offensively. So, that would be a a name... To maybe keep an eye on. I don't know if he'll be undervalued or not. With a lot of these guys, you got to just kind of shake the leaves and then see who might be available for cheap because that'll be a big priority. So, yeah. Uh, from regular listener, totally offside. What is your threshold to trade Fred? Frederick Anderson, I'm assuming, not Freddie Goche. Uh, in terms of picks, players, prospects, what would the Leafs have to get before you'd be comfortable trading him? I need so to I think know who's ever... in net. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to be comfortable trading Fred. So, I mean, this has been the, the, the subject of much discussion, and um, understandably so. Uh, but the reality is with, uh, what's it? with getting rid of your starting goaltender, it's always going to be kind of nervy, right? There, there's, there's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the way I would put it is, I need to know what we're replacing him with because most of the benefit that's going to come from trading Fred is going to be cap space and maybe getting younger at the goaltending position. You probably can't afford someone who you can say with a fair degree of confidence will be better than Frederick Anderson. I mean, one, because goalies are voodoo, but two, because he's been quite a good starter for much of his career. And one season, while it devalues him on the market, doesn't wipe that out. You can't be sure you're going to upgrade here. And so my threshold for would I do this is what kind of downgrade I'm am I accepting at goalie? And then if it's something where I free up, let's say, $2 million in cap space, I get younger, someone with a bit more term control, for someone that I think can at least be a 1A with Jack Campbell... You know, in that case, I'd probably do it for, like, I'm thinking like a second and a B prospect would be quite reasonable. I don't know that there's going to be a huge market for Freddie Anderson, just given the way things are shaking out in net, given the expansion draft kind of looming over everything. And so, yeah, it's, there's more than one moving part there. I guess you can say, who are you thinking would come in and be that guy who's going to replace Freddie Anderson. Well, Georgiev has been the name that's been bounced around repeatedly, but I suspect the Rangers might keep him. And then it's hard to find a really great free agent unless you want to just try and get 
a cheap year out of Corey Crawford, which is kind of fraught, or go long with Robin Lehner, which I don't think I want to do. So Yeah, it's it's tricky. So I mean look, we, we probably don't want Freddie's next contract. No. Right? I think uh I think that's the you know that that's not I wouldn't say obvious necessarily, but I think most people wouldn't really fight you on that. So it's a question of do you replace him this year or do you replace him next year? If you replace him next year, uh, you get the advantage of one extra year of Fred. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you have very few options next year. You're, you're tied to whatever the market is at that time because you will need a goalie at that time. Uh, mm-hmm. Replacing him now, you can kind of afford to be a bit more selective. You're not as boxed in. You have a bit more leverage in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Either way, it's not it's not fun. I mean, we, we experienced the Leafs from basically the 04 lockout until Freddie got here was just it was a absolute you know horrible goaltending experience repeatedly. Oh God, yeah, it haunts me in my dreams to this day, and yeah, you know it's. I do want to say I'm not gung ho to trade Fred, like I'm not feeling any pressure that I have to do that. I want to be clear what the benefits are before I make that move. That's what I'm trying to say here is that like, I need to be able to point to some meaningful amount of cap savings. And you know, if the idea is just that we pick up another free agent who costs 750 grand less or something like that, well, that's not useful to me. So yeah, I, 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 again, I want to know what the replacement is, and that is the main driver of my comfort in trading him. Yeah, um, it, it, it's just hard to justify getting worse at goaltending in a year where you hope to, you know, do something. Now, you know, the Leafs haven't done anything in the last four years, really, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you can say, you know, this shouldn't be that. Te- this shouldn't be a team that's focused on winning now. But yeah, I. I, I may be being kind of more fence-sitting than I'd like to be here, but it's just goaltending is such a tricky thing to assess, and I have, I have very little confidence in my own ability to assess it and very little mm-hmm. confidence in my ability to say, okay, yeah, that guy will be an upgrade or not an upgrade or whatever. So yes. it, it's, yeah, it's just a gigantic, uh, big, open question mark. It, if someone blows your doors off with an offer, sure. Um, but, yeah, I think, like you, it really depends on what we have behind him because I, I don't really have any idea of um what Campbell is as a anything besides a, a backup yeah and I should emphasize if the result is Jack Campbell is the best goalie on the team then the return for Freddie would have to be so enormous it's never going to happen before I would be okay with that because I do not trust him to step in and being a starting goalie for 50-55 games a year I just don't so yeah um, are we good on that one? I think so. Uh, this next one is from our friend and colleague Briggs Dew. Uh, drawing upon each of your vast knowledge of draft prospects, I think he's making fun of us. What do you and Arvin think that the Leafs should do with the 15th overall pick? Trade up or down? Trade for an NHL player right now? Take someone you like? Sew it into a funny hat? The possibilities are endless. We got several questions that were sort of variations on this. This was a popular concern. And so, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a fraught one. We talked about it a little bit last last podcast. And I think we said, you certainly have to explore it. I'm very curious as to 
what the market is. You had an interesting proposal. Um, said we might go to the Anaheim Ducks and trade it straight up for Josh Manson. And I said I would do that. I can think of reasons why it would make sense for Anaheim to do that. I don't think it's crazy. So I suppose in that circumstance, I'm saying I would trade it. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. Again, <laughs> I, it's very hard. I, I have a hard time with trade stuff because I think it's very hard to be good at making good trades. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a handful of people who I've seen do it reasonably well. And everyone else is like, you know, what if we give a hand sandwich and Edmonton gives us Connor McDavid? Yeah, the imbalance is kind of ridiculous. So my my thinking is, okay, so my we covered this, I think, when we talked about the Kapanen trade. Mm-hmm. From a selfish perspective, I want to keep the draft pick because draft picks are fun. Yeah. And, and new, shiny prospects are fun, right? Um, but, you know, we, it is important that we be realistic about the... Uh, what, you, what you can expect out of the 15th pick. And it's typically, you know, not that much. Uh, there are certainly 15 picks. The one thing people often look at is they say, like, oh, look at all the talent that was still available, you know, by the time of the 15th pick in each of the last whatever drafts. And that's, I mean, valid. There's almost always good talent available with the 15th pick. It's just you have to really trust yourself to, to choose it. So if you think you're a smart team, of course, you'll say, yeah, we're, we're going to choose, you know, a good player. I mean, every draft pick becomes incomparably valuable if you say, I am a psychic drafting scout. Yes. Like, I can predict who the best player will be at every single turn, and I'll take them every time. And no team has ever done that. Yeah, so. it's like, I mean, the 15th pick in 2014, um, the best player taken after that almost certainly is David Pasternak. Mm-hmm. Unless Braden Point was also in that He might have been in that draft, but he was, like, not in the first round, so I guess that's not as, you know, realistic a comparison. Um, but yeah, like, sure, if you took David Pasternak first or in 15th, you're, you're laughing, but, you know, he went 20-something, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of teams mess that up, and I don't think you can guarantee yourself that, oh, we, we are going to figure that out perfectly. Um, that said, th- you know, I've done a little reading into prospects. There's prospects who I like here. I'd prefer... So I, I guess I'll say this, and again, I feel like I'm being really, really cop-outy in this podcast so far, because the answer is always <laughs> it depends, right? It's always it depends. Yeah. Um, if there's a defenseman that I want to trade that pick for, I want them to have at least like, bare minimum two years of control, ideally three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like them to be a right-sided defenseman. I'd like them to be good, right? Like, and yeah. Not, um, none of this, oh yeah, he, you know, he, he can play uh, second-pairing defenseman, sort of. I, I want, like, this guy is a good second-pairing defenseman, bare minimum. You can play him there and he will be fine. There will be no issues, right? I want him to be at least as good as, like, I want him to be Jake Muzzin, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, that, it's, I don't want to trade this for just anyone. That was a bit rambly, but that's where I'm standing. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with all that. Basically, you need to get someone back if you're trading this pick, who is the no doubt about it best right-handed defenseman on the team and you say hey the only guy there is Justin Hall that shouldn't be that hard and you would think but look at how the last five years have gone so you need someone who is going to play with Morgan Riley at a high level of effectiveness and you might have to package something else with the 15th to get it I could see I'm thinking of uh, Andreas Janssen but depending on how that shakes out I would say that's the circumstance in which you trade it you do not commit yourself to either definitely keeping it 
or definitely tr um, not keeping it. Like, you have to keep, I would say, both options open. Um, you know, Anton Lundell would be a very cool guy to draft. I know a lot of people are going wild about Yaroslav Askarov, who is the highest-ranked goalie I've seen in the draft in some time. I'm very reluctant to take goalies even as high as 15th, but maybe he's the exception, I guess. I probably wouldn't do it, but you never know. And so, yeah, it, it really... You have to shop this pick. Absolutely. You have to take calls on it. You have to make calls on it. You have, I mean, I assume Kyle Dubas is doing that anyway. He's been quite clear he intends to make more moves this offseason. Uh, he clearly shopped the Kapanen pick to anyone who might have the least... Sorry, he clearly shopped Kapanen to anyone who might have the least interest in him. So, yeah, it's going to be a matter of finding that one player who maybe on the way out in his current situation or kind of vulnerable to being exposed in the expansion draft, I expect. Uh, the Minnesota Wild are supposedly shopping Matt Dumba, who I think we've talked about. He seems like a great guy, but I'm not sure I'm as into his on-ice impacts as a shot-happy right-handed defenseman. So, mm -hmm. yeah. When, when have we been burned by that before? <laughs> Name even one time. So, yeah, I guess the answer is Kyle Dubas should be exploring every possible angle of this. Manson is the guy who sticks out in my mind as being possibly available, possibly affordable, possibly pretty good. So, yeah. Uh, from Toronto, Adam. Oh, sorry, the... One thing I just wanted yeah, to add sorry. before we go to the next question. I'm also willing to trade it for a left defenseman, but like they have to be very good. You know, if, if this is the, the pipe dream example that I keep bringing up in, in Slack, and it's not happening, but like if Matthias Ekholm was somehow on the market, it's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you'd sure. have to do it. Right? And, I, you know, like, you have left, to... He's a left defenseman, but, you know, he's a fringe Norris guy. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's... Uh, I would think Nashville was being dumb if they did that, but I don't know. You never know what Nashville's going to do. David Paul yeah. is a bit of a wild man. Yeah, so. but as, as you've pointed out, Nashville seems more likely to go the other way and trade future wins for present wins as opposed to the opposite. Yeah, I think they think we only have so many more kicks at the can. They might not have any, but they probably think, okay, we've got Yossi, Ellis, Ekholm, and they're the building blocks of our defense. We should build on that now. And so, yeah. Uh, Carolina, I guess, while we're on the topic, is often discussed as a potential trading partner. I don't know how much you want Brett Pesce. I've had the impression in the past that he might have been being carried a little bit. But he seems like a good defenseman. Um, yeah, that, I mean, yeah. I think I think I'm kind of soured on, on Pesci, basically just because there was so much talk of like, oh, I mean, you'd have to add to trade to to get to get Brett Pesci if you're only giving up William Nylander. Yeah, like just know? such nonsense. Come on. And so no, we're we're not doing that. Obviously, Dougie Hamilton. The thing about Dougie Hamilton is, you have to get him and extend him. And yeah, and like, if why, you do it, is, then suddenly it's... Why is it's, Carolina trading him, precisely? Like, that's not clear to me. No, the only reason I can think of is that they are 100% convinced he's going to leave. Yeah. In one year. But, barring evidence of that, we shouldn't assume it, because that's kind of a pipe dream. He's a number one defenseman, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, next up from Toronto, Adam. What's the most painful lawyer movie for you to watch? Because it's just so outrageously unrealistic. Ah, uh, 
You have spoken the pain of my life. But I will say it's the TV shows that are the worst. I got, I think, 25 minutes into Suits. <laughs> I mean, the first episode of Suits should have about four people disbarred. Yeah. Every time it's like, can't do that. Lose your license for that. Nope. Don't do that. And here's the other thing. He starts off cheating on the LSAT. And at one point I actually taught the LSAT. Like I taught a preparatory course. You can't do any of that shit. It's very hard to cheat on the LSAT. Um, is it all computerized now anyways? It probably is. Uh, when I was doing it, they were still writing it. But that yeah, was quite a while ago. When I now. took the GRE, it was, you have to go onto a computer. And I, I think I had to provide them like ID. Like you would need to commit multiple felonies yes. just to get in the room because you need to forge government IDs. Like at least a driver's license. I don't, I don't think I needed a passport. I think driver's license sufficed. But yeah, it, it was, you know, it was a lot. Yeah, and my understanding is the American one, they fingerprint you. Oh, like really? Jeez. Yeah. Um, now, I could be out of date about that. But yeah, anyway, no, not at all. Uh, and one other thing, just while I'm rambling on the topic. Actually, you know what? Three other things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, first right, off. 23 it, other things to discuss. <laughs> 455 this. other things. Okay, I'm going to try to do this really quick. But just because you've touched a sore point with me. First of all. If you've thought of something where it's like, okay, that's clever, but it's obviously kind of bullshit, you got to be real careful with those arguments, taking them to a judge or a jury, just in general, where it's like, ah, ha, ha, but you know, the, there wasn't a period here or something. Most laws now are not so strictly interpreted that you get away with all sorts of nonsense that any ordinary person could clearly see through. That's what I would say. Like, the typo in a contract... Where it's like, oh, I ended up paying uh, $10 million for this used Toyota Corolla or something due to a typo. Well, that's not going to fly. It's going to be ridiculous on its face. Is, um, is that also true with, like, definitions? Or, like, um, or, or is that, like, a, a bit different? Definitions? I mean, there's a lot of issues with contract ambiguity. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, fighting over that. That's a real thing, for sure. I mean, if you're putting an interpretation on a word that's patently ridiculous and not how anyone would use the language, then that's probably not going to fly. Uh, another thing that I want to do is a lot of legal shows and legal movies depend on what they call trial by ambush, which is you bring in, you know, a, a witness at the last second, you produce some miraculous evidence, and like most of Canadian trial procedure is designed exactly to avoid that because, you know, you can't prepare an adequate defense or an adequate case if you don't have time or foreknowledge of it. So a lot of stuff where it's like, here's the dramatic twist in the courtroom and everything's going crazy. It just, it, it doesn't really tend to happen like that. Trials are a lot more like, oh, you know what? Here's a, here's my little parting simile here on this. I think a lot of people think trials are like the Toronto Maple Leafs where it's like you're going to get this miraculous breakaway play and the whole game will change on it. I'm afraid that trials are a lot more like the New York Islanders where it's just grinding, doing the right thing, slowly building a case, and it's not all that exciting, which is, of course, why the TV shows don't show it. Uh, I can't watch legal television. I genuinely can't. So there's my... My somewhat embittered answer. <laughs>
this one's from Frizzbob1. With Petrangelo most likely re-signing with uh, St. Louis now that they've cleared cap space, who are some solid number two options for the Leafs to look at trading for slash signing? And who do you trade for them? Oh, so we've talked about uh, Josh Manson a little bit. Uh, Matthias Ekholm is probably not going to be available. Uh, I've expressed my somewhat disinterest in Matt Dumba. Brett Pesce, I mean, it depends very much on price, and I don't think Carolina's in the business of losing trades, but they would be something I would explore if they aren't going too crazy about it. Do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, Mackenzie Wieger's been a guy who's, who's been discussed quite a bit. I, I don't know how much he would cost. doesn't mm-hmm. have a gigantic track record, but he's worth looking into. Jonas Brodeen's a guy I would like a lot. Um, oh, he, yeah. there, there are some issues there. He's a left defenseman, but he's kind of like the inverse of Morgan Riley in a lot of ways. And I would just like to see um, what happens on a team where Morgan Riley and Jonas Brodeen are, are, are on the same team. Uh, they wouldn't play together because Brodeen's a left shot, but uh, he's a very, very good defensive defenseman. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Brodeen ended up playing right side in that situation. He's done it before, I believe, <clears throat> but not recently. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're acquiring him, somebody's got to flip, I think. So, I mean, to answer what do you offer, I think the first and Andreas Janssen are all on the table. Andreas yeah. Janssen probably isn't worth a ton in a market sense, but part of the reason you ask everybody about everything is that you might find someone who thinks that he's worth a little bit more. or who... Right, it only takes one. Yeah, exactly. Like, again... The Kapanen trade we talked about, go win a trade. Well, the Leafs found the one party that was willing to, I think, notably overpay for Kasperi Kapanen. And part of that was due to just the position that the Penguins are in, where they are disinterested in futures. And part of it, I think, was that Jim Rutherford really liked the player. And so you really want to explore that. I think if the Leafs go to market with some combination of Janssen and the first... They can certainly bring home somebody who would be worthwhile, I think. The other thing, so I don't quite understand the idea of trading Kerfoot because I think he's a solid third-line center. But then who's the center? That's my question. It's like, <laughs> even if you don't think that he's that great, it's like, now Pierre Engvall is your 3C, and that's no, a problem. Evan Rodriguez, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, as much I, I like Evan Rodriguez, I think... People were probably underrating him. I think some people were like, oh, he's absolute trash. He was on Buffalo or whatever. And while that's generally true uh, <laughs> of people from, or of players on Buffalo, it's not universally true. And I think Rodriguez, you know, I'm comfortable. I'd be comfortable putting him in on the fourth line in any capacity. And I'd feel less comfortable about him on the third line. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's possible. I, I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of trading Kerfoot, but you could do that if you wanted and maybe the center premium gets you a slightly better asset. Um, I don't know. I think I think Kerfoot is going to be a player who is going to be a little underrated by the market and by his, you know, counting stats because he's he might get a bit of power play time, but it's not a lot. It's on PP2, which is, you know, not not the most talented uh, group of power play players assembled in league history. Island of misfit toys. Yeah, exactly. And he's going to be behind... He's always going to be kind of compared in terms of on stats to the two guys in front of him, really, who are elite NHL centers. So um, 
I don't think you would get a lot for Kerfoot. I think his value to the Leafs is better than his value league-wide, but I could be wrong about that. If you trade him, maybe you get a bit more, because he did show more this year than, than Janssen, who uh, struggled and had an injury. I think if you're trading Alex Kerfoot, you had better get, like, a no-doubt-about-it top-pairing defenseman back, because you have gutted your bottom six. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like, gone at that point. Absolutely gone. Yeah, I, I, I would be so hesitant. But. Are there any other names that we should talk about in terms of defensemen? I, Mark Pissick is always <laughs> 35 years from now. The Leafs will be thinking about acquiring Mark Pissick. Yeah, I mean, Chris Tanev may be coming on the market. Uh, and he's someone who we wanted like four years ago. But his injury history has been pretty dicey. And he's now 30. So I'm kind of hesitant about that. I think he'll end up getting more than he will return on his contract but that might be something to look at especially if you know you don't want to necessarily go the trade route you still have to free up some money to make it work but you at least don't have to give up additional assets just to acquire him um so that might be something to look at uh you know there are a number of options here Uh, again i keep thinking of manson he comes back in my head as like the guy that I think checks all the boxes. Now, he's probably been carried a bit by Hampus Lindholm, which is the worry. But I like a lot about what he brings. You know, he's got some size, uh, some physicality, some aggressiveness, all those old school stuff. Without being a bad player. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, he, uh, M- Manson, I think, is like pretty... He seems like a league average-ish defensive Yeah. But he would be doing all the things that we don't really have. You know, shooting right, being physical, being more defensive-oriented, while being league average. So he's league average in the way that is above average useful to us, is how I would put it. Yeah, right. It, it, he's, yeah, it's a, it's a low bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a sad time. But uh, yeah, I hope that covered a, 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 lot of, uh, a lot of options there. Again... Who knows what's going to be available? I keep saying it. I should add. I don't know if Anaheim wants to trade him. I can see why they might. There was this... I forget who said this. It was one of the insiders. But it was like... When Manson was being, you know, talked about more. It was like, uh, Anaheim likes Manson more than most men love their wives. Right? (laughs) So... Well. (laughs) All right, then. Yeah, I mean, and I can see what they like about him. Um, And they've still got two years. So they could probably talk themselves into saying, hey, we'll make use of the rest of this contract, no problem. And they also don't have a ton coming behind him. So it, it maybe it's not going to happen. But uh, yeah. Okay, so next up from TTOT, which current GM is the closest to peak Holmgren? Uh, I'm of the opinion it's St. Louis's GM, especially given his trades for O'Reilly and Shen. Paul Holmgren was the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, and I adored him because he was bananas. He would do all sorts of insane shit. He offshooted Shea Weber. He dealt Mike Richards and Jeff Carter. He signed Ilya Brzgalov to a catastrophically funny contract. He did some things that worked. He did some things that were disastrous, but he was always fun. You know, he livened up the league just by his existence. I think one team in the league should be required to have Paul Holmgren as his GM. Not us, though. (laughs) (laughs) Someone else, but not us. Um, I don't know that there's a GM that really 
compares to him in terms of being just crazy. But if there is, it's probably Rutherford, I think. Like, just in terms of being a bit of a wild man, willing to make big moves, big acquisitions. He traded for Phil Kessel. He traded away Phil Kessel. Uh, he paid a bunch for Kasperi Kapitan. He signed Brandon Tanev and Jack Johnson to two of the most inexplicable term contracts in the NHL. I would say that's as close as you're going to get. Yeah, I think I think that that's about right. Uh, who else could it be? Uh, yeah, I, it's it's him or David Poyle for my money. And David, yeah, Poyle has if, if you're talking about just money. wild men, yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, does 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 Jim Benning get a, a mm. get a shout here? Because like, I don't know, I, with 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 Holmgren, I thought it's like okay, he does some incredible shit and then just does like the most mind-bogglingly dumb thing ever. Right, and it's you know with with Benning, it's like draft Elias Pettersson, sign Antoine Roussel, draft Quinn Hughes, <laughs> uh, sign who else did the sign? JB. Tyler Myers. Yeah, Tyler um, Myers. Right, but then it it might just be that there's a, more of a method to Benning's badness, which is that he appears to be a good scout or listen to good scouts, mm-hmm. and they've drafted well, and then his pro scouting seems to be really bad. It seems like it. I. Yeah, I think to be a true Holmgren, you have to do some wild shit on the trade market. And I don't think Benning's best or worst work has been in trades. That's true. So That's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, but he's uh, he's interesting in his own way. It's going to be real fascinating to see what he does with the Canucks. Because... Yeah, I mean, okay, I'd like to register right here mm-hmm. that um, the Canucks are... A very good team with the best young core in in the league, um, and by young core I'll say like twenty two and under. Okay. Right. Yep. And I don't think it's close. I am not at all convinced they're going to be a perennial uh, contender or slash playoff team even. Just because wow. I I, yeah. I I mean playoff team probably because it's not that hard to be a playoff team. The Leafs have done it. Um, <laughs> Sigh. No, I, I I mean seriously though. Yeah. No, it's true. And. But yeah, I mean, I think it has to be emphasized. Pedersen and Hughes are the truth. Yes. Like that's, that there should can... be a foundation that you build a contender on, no question. And so the... if they don't, It is that's not out bad. of the realm of possibility that Pedersen can win the heart and Hughes can win the Norris like in the same year. Yeah, the, I wouldn't rule that how, out. That's how good I think they are. But mm-hmm. I just don't trust, well, one, the rest of their roster. Like, I think people... Stats people are, are saying this, of course, but the degree to which Vegas just completely destroyed them. Yes, is, and it'll be, you know what? It might get misremembered in the popular consciousness because it was a seven-game series, but Vegas took them apart. Like, it was goaltending that kept them alive as long as it did and nothing else. So, yeah. yeah. It, 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 I can see them... Especially if they go into kind of 2013 Leafs mode, where it's like, oh, we're better than we are. We just need to make a few small adjustments, and we're, and we're a contender. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think they're there. No. And they, they've got some some tough decisions to make. And I have to admit, Markstrom and Demko, that decision in net, that would trip up probably better GMs than Jim Benning. Mm-hmm. Like, that's genuinely a tough decision. I'm not saying I would get it right either. Uh, but they have to decide, do they want to keep Toffoli? Do they want to keep Tanev? And that's going to eat up a decent proportion of their cap space. And then the season after that, they have to 
do fat extensions for Pedersen and Hughes, who are going to cost an obscene amount of money and be worth it, but they will cost it. So yeah, they'll probably cost eighteen million between the two of them. Yeah, or you know, one Mitch Marner. Um, <laughs> that's not fair. But uh, yeah, so this we we've talked about with the Leafs time and time again. The hardest step is good to great, and the Canucks are brushing up against good based on a couple of very good core players. But the next step is going to be pretty fraught. So, yeah. Um, that wasn't even a question. We just No, <laughs> we, we just decided to talk about the Canucks for a bit. Well, why not? Uh, this is one more from TTOT. How hilarious is it that the Raptors are the epitome of gutsy defensive team play, despite being in a superstar-dominated sport, and the Leafs are the exact opposite? Is hilarious the right word? Uh, <laughs> I think, okay, so... I mean, I know that that's um, obviously being kind of glib. On the one hand, you know, obviously you can't translate sports. It's very different. Different teams are going to win different ways. It's hard not to watch the Raptors sometimes and think, I wish there were a bit more of that on the Leafs. I have to admit that's crossed my mind recently. Um, you know, and obviously the, the biggest difference is the Raptors just won a championship, albeit with Kawhi, but... Yeah, I mean, the, the Raptors are an elite defensive team. The Leafs are not, uh, <laughs> to use a technical term. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that difference. The thing is, when you watch a team that is good defensively, mm-hmm. you get so much like kind of pride out of it, right? Which is why, I, you know, I don't blame like Columbus fans or uh, Islanders fans, you know, last year for getting annoyed when someone's like, oh, this team's boring. They're boring yeah. to other teams. When you watch your team, you know, fuck up someone else on defense, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This is, like, basically porn. Oh, yeah. Because it's just so frustrating for the other team, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of funny in that sense. Um, the Raps are a very, very good defensive team. I, I think one thing, while we're just kind of going off topic and soapboxing a bit, um, okay, so a lot of people talk about Kyle Lowry. And Kyle mm-hmm. Lowry um, is, you know, arguably still the Raptors' best player, um, was probably their second or third best last year, depending on how you viewed his contributions versus Pascal Siakam. But Lowry's a guy who, when you look at him physically, it doesn't look like he should be great at basketball. He's generously listed at six foot. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't have a great vertical or anything like that. But he, has, he is one of the smartest players in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. And people look at that, look at his effort level, which is off the charts, and say, like, why can't ex-hockey player be like Kyle Lowry, right? And I think that's a little unfair, and I think it underrates Kyle Lowry in some ways, because mm. we have this very narrow conception of athleticism as being like, run fast, jump high, be quick, right? And certainly those are very, very big parts of athleticism. But Lowry, um, it, well, first off, he is actually quick and was very quick in his, in his young days. He's very athletic in a lot of other ways that people don't often notice. His uh, core strength and lower body strength is absurd like people always joke about Kyle Lowry having a fat ass but he does he has an enormous ass and he uses it mm-hmm. and that's like a real advantage um he's a hockey player's ass you could say yeah Yarmir Jagger made a career off his ass among yeah. other great things but yeah, yeah. exactly um he the, the other way he's I think more athletic than, than other people realize he's incredibly coordinated and balanced like his, his balance is very very good and that's how you survive being a six-foot guy in a league filled with people you know a foot taller than you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people attribute a lot of Lowry's success to 
effort, which is undeniably true. His effort level is, is, is amazing. But I think they underrate two things. One, the athletic abilities that he does have. And two, how good his brain is. He is one of the smartest players in the NBA. And, like, I don't think you can teach, say, Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or William Neander to read the game the same way Kyle Lowry does. And those guys are all very, very good at reading games offensively, maybe less so defensively. But it, it's a skill, right? That brain and that ability to react quickly. Um, to kind of changing environments and knowing the game state and all that stuff. That stuff is, to some sense, to some extent, innate. So this is my little soapbox of you know, of saying Kyle Lowry is actually very talented in addition mm-hmm. to being enormously disciplined and hardworking. Yeah, and so that's probably worth remembering. It's not just that the Raptors want it, although they obviously do want it. It's that they're a good team. Yeah, a really good team. And, yeah. Uh, it's also worth noting that um, they have someone who I think is inarguably a top five coach in the NBA. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think I think well of Sheldon Keith, but I don't think he's shown enough to say that he is certainly in that range in the NHL. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is a, a pet opinion of mine. I think hockey is so fluid that adjustments in playoff series are always going to be partial and kind of transitory. You know, I'm not saying they don't matter, but with, um, you know, the current series going on is the Raptors versus the Celtics, and they're both very well-coached basketball teams, and it's honestly a joy to me just to read about, like, some of the stuff that they're doing Yeah. in terms of, like, the chess match and the, like, you know, we're running a box and one on this one, and we're mixing it up with the zone, and just, like, the level of complexity in terms of really possession-to-possession changes in strategy and tactics. Um, that's that's kind of where you really see a very above-average coach like Nick Nurse make a difference. I'm not even sure it's possible for Sheldon Keefe to do anything like that in his sport, even if he were the best at it. Yeah, you know? I mean, basketball, it, by virtue of being slower and more controlled than hockey, has much more intentional... Yeah, it's much more intentional in general, both offensively and defensively. You can, you can design things, I think, kind of in a more complete way mm-hmm. or in a more robust way, um, which is not really the case in hockey. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we would certainly like hockey Kyle Lowry, though, if he's available. Yeah. So direct us to him, please. And so our next one is from Pids88. Will the Seattle expansion draft affect offseason decisions league-wide this year at all? Is there an opportunity for the Leafs to go grab a top four defenseman because of this? Maybe. I don't think so specifically. Um, well, in general, I think people will kind of overrate the importance or like how, how much teams have to have to work around the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many teams that have um, surplus defensemen more than like, oh, we can't protect all of these guys. Yeah, like that's the thing. You could look at Carolina and say that if they keep all of Hamilton, Slavin, Sky, and Pache, then they might be squeezed to expose Did one of them. Did you just call Brady Shea Sky? Is that how it's pronounced? It's I don't pronounced know. Shea, yeah. Well, in my defense, it's got an S and a K and a J and not an H. I, I, I know I was that like, I struggle with I was with like, words. who the fuck is Sky? I don't know. <laughs> I know that, too. There's, there's no excuse. That's not the first time I've heard that name. Uh, the guy who they got, 
from oh, New York yeah. who shall remain anonymous would be uh, an issue. Brady uh, gonna... is his name. <laughs> his name is Brady. Um, they... And they'll almost certainly expose Jake Gardner. Yes. And so, yeah, like maybe that jars a guy loose. Um, but by and large, I, I agree with, with Arvind, you know, maybe you're seeing it a bit in Minnesota too, with the availability of Matt Dumba. I don't know, but you know, the thing is, is that there are just not that many teams who have, as Arvin was saying, four well-established defensemen who are going to let them go. And I mean, for the, if there, you have like an extremely unbalanced team, you can do the four, four split and just protect four forwards. And so we might see a couple teams do that. So I wouldn't be counting on it to jar too much loose. I won't lie. I thought it would do more before Vegas than it did. Or rather, Vegas kind of was the beneficiary. Yeah. But a lot of teams made deals. Maybe that'll happen less this time around because of how good Vegas turned out to be. Yeah, I mean, Vegas is is interesting, aren't they? Because a lot of people, myself included... Didn't think they made out that well in the expansion draft. I think a lot of people, myself Mm -mm. included again, thought they left quite a bit on the table. They were certainly helped by getting two-thirds of a first line, just with um, Smith and Marcheseau, right? Like, just from jump. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it seemed like a bunch of kind of decent players. And I I guess one of the things that rang, or one of the lessons I, I try to take from that is, okay, the difference between average players is probably not that great and number two coaching matters a hell of a lot yeah yeah absolutely and so i don't know how that will will echo one or two players might be kind of jarred loose this is also going to be such a weird offseason in terms of cap pressures yeah that it is pretty hard to predict you know but maybe someone comes loose who who might really help us the only thing is is that You've got to be really sure that the fourth best defenseman on a given team is good enough to make a real difference as probably a top pair defenseman on the Leafs because he's going to slot in with Morgan Riley. So, you know, you don't want to just do it for some guy who's just not really going to move the needle that much. Right. Um, one more from Pids88 was, On a scale of Jeff Finger to Borja Salming, how sweet would an NYR offer sheet to Barzal be? It would be hilarious. <laughs> That's it would be that, very funny. It would um, be quite something. I mean, I, I assume Lou would murder everyone involved. But yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how likely it is, but you know. I, the truth is, is that NY has to keep him. Barzal is their their best, probably their best player, but their best young player for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this next one is from Sweetwater1981. Lots of talk about changing the character of the Leafs, which is valid, I guess. What does this mean to you? How would you evaluate a player and who are some targets? Yeah, I mean, so this kind of goes to the effort discussion we were talking about with with Lowry. I mean, okay, so this is, again, very fence city of me. Character absolutely is a thing, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I believe that some players improve teams just by being on them, by setting an example, by teaching people, by all those sorts of things. Um... And I also believe that some players are the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. But from the outside, it is really, 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 really hard to determine who those players are. And I think too often it boils down to, did this player score 
or like how does this player look when they're on the ice right hockey's a weird sport to gauge effort because some players are just have the way that people move is very different right and that's you know true in any other sport some players run more than others or look like they're running harder than others when they're not but in hockey i feel like skating strides have a huge impact on how we view people Mm -hmm. right um so look to say that the leafs lack character i guess i would say what does that mean because to me what the leafs lack is is being good defensively and Mm -hmm. it's not that like i don't think you become as good as austin matthews has become or as mitch marner has become or as john Tavares has become without wanting it without working harder than a lot of other people because there's a lot of people who want to be nhl superstars and, mm-hmm. you know, they have a ton of talent, but they've also worked their ass off. I, I do believe they want it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that they are fatally flawed in some way and uh, that their character is what's preventing the Leafs from, from going forward. I think as a, as a team, we haven't been quite good enough as, at hockey and we've gotten a little unlucky at times, right? I'd so in, ter- yeah. in terms of assessing the Leafs' character, I mean, look, it's possible that there are some issues there. But I see no way that I could assess that from the outside. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would also note, and this is just an aside, a lot of the players who have proved to be missing pieces or whatever else kind of famously did not have the greatest character. Uh, I'm thinking of Phil Kessel, who is reputed to be. I think Phil Kessel is a perfectly fine guy, to be clear. But he's pissed off a lot of coaches. And... Probably because they don't play defense, which, fair enough. Yeah, I I mean, Look, if if I was good enough to get away with not playing defense, I wouldn't either. It's hard, you know? You have to do all this shit. So, it's hard for me to say, even if you make a character acquisition, is that necessarily the the best thing? I think you want to avoid guys with genuinely terrible characters. Like, I'm thinking of Sean Avery. Yeah, and I mean, I would say a modern... I would not want... Luckily, because I don't think this guy's a very good player anyways, but I wouldn't want Tony D'Angelo if he was actually a very good player. I agree. Like, I just think the guy's an asshole. And I don't... I'm sure there are assholes on the Leafs, but the being an asshole and also being very public and being, being very proud that you're an asshole um, is, I think, another level of it to me. And I just wouldn't want him on the team. I, I, I don't think that does any good. Yeah. And, you know, I... At the risk of projecting a little bit here, I could see that pissing the hell out of his teammates at times. You think, oh, look, it's the fucking circus again. You know? Gonna go off and spout some racism on Twitter. Cool. Yeah, especially in Toronto where that that stuff would be, you know, headline page one news for a month. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, it would... I don't think it would play all that well, frankly. Uh, Even for Toronto, the... Or for Ontario, that, you know, there's obviously a local conservative contingent, but it's not always that fond of Trump. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I suppose we're, we're dodging a little bit on that one there, but I don't know that character is necessarily the problem per se. And I would prefer to just stick to, I want to get the best hockey players I can. Um, this next one is from Bry Gray. Do you think that the team showcased Janssen in game five? I saw no reason to put him in. I love him, but it seemed really sudden. His trade value was low before that, but he played and it looked like a C. He can still play. Do you like him? Situation. I actually think this is true. It could be, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was a little... I mean, I, I wasn't for playing him. It's, just, it's, a, it's a weird situation to, to throw a guy into. I guess 
you know, if the Leafs had won, there, there'd be no game that wasn't incredibly important from then on out, right? Every game's mm-hmm. a playoff game. Right. Um, but, you know, in a do-or-die situation, uh, it, I wouldn't have put him in at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's plausible. That's, that's not an yeah. inconceivable thing at all, where you can say, hey, this guy, look, he can still play hockey. He wasn't great in that game, but he was fine. Um, and it was like, okay, cool, this guy can, you know, still skate and shit. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, to be clear, I think the first priority was, okay, he's probably a better player right now than Nick Robertson, they thought. But I don't think it was absent from their minds that him appearing in the playoffs reads differently on the trade market than guy who has been injured for six months and hasn't played. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's a credible theory. Um, from Mostly Leafies, what are your thoughts on the three Leaf forwards, Kerfoot, Janssen, Engvall, rumored to be on the market. Which would you prefer, or prefer not, to move? I think we've addressed this. I don't want to trade Kerfoot if I can in any way avoid it. I almost expect us to trade Janssen. Engvall, I don't think, returns you anything. Yeah. I don't think Engvall should be lumped in with those guys. Mm. I think Kerfoot and Janssen are players who are kind of in the middle six of, of any team. Mm. And, and in the case of Janssen, possibly more. And mm-hmm. Engvall is like a reasonable depth guy. And, you know, I guess I'm contradicting myself because, as I said, the difference between, you know, league average or slightly below league average players is not enormous. But I think there is a bit of a gap between there. Yeah, I'd agree. I also think, you know, people are talking about, um, well, this will come up in the next question, actually, I see. But Engvall being a little bit overpaid, I don't think it's a huge deal. Like, I know you want to save every dollar you can, and fair enough. And it didn't help that he went ice-cold shooting-wise right after he signed an extension. But, like, you know, it's, it's a few hundred thousand dollars. It's too bad, but I think that they're, like... I think if his shooting regresses a little bit, Engvall is going to come closer to living up to that deal than people seem to expect right now. So, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I, I would say Janssen is the guy who's almost certainly going to be shopped. And as I've said, Kerfoot guts your, your center depth. So don't do that. Yeah, while, while we're here, um, mm-hmm. did you see that article? I think it was Steve Simmons. So you, you, the answer to this question is probably no, but did you see the article where, where Simmons was saying that like Dubas is uh, maybe annoying is a strong word, but like he was saying, okay, you know, my guys are available in the market and then like quoting very sky high prices for them. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, that's his job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on oh i mean like i i honestly like i think kyle dubas could use a windsor knot on his tie and he would get complaints from other general managers like it really does seem like there's always some leak in 31 thoughts about like other general managers were not pleased with toronto's blah, 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 blah. like who cares well again, his job is to get good returns it's his it's what he's for. <laughs> there was exact people were not happy about the Leafs making that trade, right? I, I assume, and I sort of understand that if you're a playoff team because you can't make a trade right now, and it's like, oh, well, that could have helped. You know, maybe we wanted Capitan. That could have helped us, right? Whatever. It's a counter proposal. I don't give a shit. Yeah. You know what? You get to be in the playoffs. Too bad. And this exactly. has been a thing every year since forever. So you just got a deal. <laughs> I am. I find that very annoying, I have to tell you. If you can't, if you can't guess from my slightly irritated tone. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, that sequences kind of neatly into our next one from Mike McInnes. Uh, 
Is Dubas a good GM? I'm still hoping so, but at this point, I'm really wondering. Terrible negotiator. Even on his cheaper contracts, he's not getting much value, if any. E.g. Engvall. Kadri deal didn't work out, but even at the time, uh, he was skeptical about it. Uh, I know he's done good things. Robertson, Muzzin, Cappy trade, maybe his drafts. But contract negotiations are such a key skill for GMs that if you can't do that part, I'm not sure the other stuff matters. I mean, I agree with the last part. Like, contract negotiations are, I think, the... That a, a huge part of being a GM's job, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if you're like straight up bad at them, it's hard to say you're a good GM. Uh, my read on Dubis so far is that he's a pretty good GM who has made some good moves and really one quite poor move, I think. Two mm-hmm. quite poor moves, I should say. Uh, one was the the Marner signing, where I think he kind of just you know lost that negotiation uh, and just paid Marner more than he was worth and more than he should have gotten. Um, and the other one was the, of course, the 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 Kadri Berry deal. Yes, I'll I'll say this. His process still makes sense to me, and I know that, you know, you can say like, maybe that just means that both of you are wrong, but I think that he's mostly made moves that I find coherent, and so I'm not super fussed about them. Like. I would be more worried if he were doing things where I was like, okay, what is going on here? I don't understand at all. Right. But by and large, his actions, even including the Kadri Berry trade, which, can I just say as an aside here, we were like cautiously optimistic about that. And we were maybe the least sunny people about that trade in Toronto, it felt like. (laughs) Because we got some people saying like, oh, you're a bit of a buzzkill on this one. And we, to be clear, I did not think it would go as badly as it did by any means. But, like, everyone was in favor of that trade. Or everyone's too universal. But there was a lot of support. And I think that, you know, now there's an attitude that, oh, it was obviously a mistake. Because of how it turned out. It's like, well, I don't know that it was that obvious at the time. Um, So, I think, you know, you have to say he did not capture great value on his RFA deals. It's just, it's a fact. Right. He didn't do it. And, and we, we talked about the Marner deal, but like Matt, Matthew's deal was very expensive too for the, for the amount of years, right? It, mm-hmm. It's more justifiable because Matthews is, you know, one of the best goal scorers in the world. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, I think the, the, the fear coming out of it was like, oh, we didn't get that much for only, I think, one UFA year for Matthews. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And so... Yeah, I think he's certainly done some some unfortunate things, but I think that by and large, he's been a good GM. I can't think of another general manager who I look at and I'm like, gosh, I wish we had that guy. Um, yeah. Because they're all men at present. Like, I'm not, there's no one that I would confidently exchange him for. And that's more than I can say for pretty much any of his predecessors that I can remember. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, but, he, but he, he's got to get it done. And I think he knows that. The pressure is on. Uh, you can't not move forward in terms of team success and maintain your job forever. So uh, this next one is from Exit Steve Left. If the U.S. doesn't get their shit figured out in time for next season, should we have a whole regular season in playoffs with just the Canadian teams like in the good old days of the Challenge Cup era? That'd be fun. That'd be fun. I mean, 0% chance it would happen because... No. <laughs> <clears throat> The NHL would be losing a lot of money and interest. Yeah. And I, I, mean, I mean... The thing yeah. is, Canada's just not that big. 
we don't matter that much on a global stage. No, I mean, the reality is even in hockey, which is like our sport, so to speak, three quarters of the league is American, you know? And so, yeah, uh, it would be a cool concept. It would be interesting to see if, as part of some way to try and maintain safety or uh, to limit exposure, they went to more restricted regional divisions and they made Canada all one. There's probably not a good reason to do it that way. But if they ever did, it would be fun. Because Canadian teams almost all hate each other. Yeah. Uh, they all hate us especially, but there's a lot of hatreds within those groups too. So it would be fun. Um, from Kano Emo 16 what do the Leafs need to do to make us love them again? Uh, win, win, win some a hockey round. games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's really it. We're, we're not that... We're not that picky. It's not like, oh, what, you know, what should I get my significant other for their birthday? They never say what they want. It's like, no, no, we, we told you what we wanted. We just want to win a round. Yeah, you know, win multiple rounds if you can do it. But even just winning one will at least be like, okay, it's a round. Yeah. E even uh, if we had won against uh, Columbus and then lost against Tampa Bay, as we likely would have, um, I think the, the mood in the Leafs nation would be so much happier. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, you know, the truth is, is that Tampa right now, I think, is the best team in the NHL. And I think that, you know, if you lose to Tampa in a hard-fought series, that isn't really much of an indictment of you. Like, you yeah. want to get better, you want to get to the point where you are where they are. But I wouldn't take that all that hard. Um, it's incredible. Like, I think this has somehow gone, like, understated, but, like... Tampa just, you know, beat Boston in, in five, and they didn't have Steven Stamkos. Yeah, that was like series didn't their second seem even all that forward. close. Right? Like, yeah. you know, Steven Stamkos is really, really good. Yeah. And I think, like, the, you know, the ascendance of Kucherov and Point as probably, you know, the two best players on the Lightning, two best forwards on the Lightning, mm -hmm. has made people forget, like, man, Steven Stamkos, you know, was had a Hall of Fame track career until, like, all the injuries, really. And, and even now, like, he has an outside shot at it. Yeah. Uh, also, like, just if you ever look at Tampa's roster, and I feel like people have just gotten inured to it because they had a great season and then lost to Columbus, and everyone was like, oh, they're a bunch of frauds. But, like, that's far and away the most impressive roster in the NHL to me. Like, yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really good. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, this is also from Piz88. Uh, what GM slash teams do you think are poor talent evaluators and could be taken advantage of in a trade? Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver is a Minnesota, I'd say. Minnesota I'm less confident in because I don't know if Garen is, is as bad as his predecessor. Um, yeah. Fenton was, uh, was crazy. Dale Talon would have been my... No doubt about it. Answer until yeah. he got fired a few weeks ago. Yeah, this ago. has been made a lot harder by Florida getting rid of him. Yeah, um, I think uh, you know I've talked a lot about Rutherford. Obviously, we've already gone to that well once, so maybe there's not as much there. I don't know that Rutherford is always a bad GM per se, but I think when he decides what he wants to do, he will commit to it. Yeah, and he will overpay. So. If you find something that he wants, dangle it in front of him and let the lights get shiny in his eyes. And I think we did that with Kapanen. I'd like to do that again. I don't know that there are as many gems that I'm confident are not 
all that good the way that I was with Talon or Chiarelli. But there are certainly GMs who are going to overcommit to certain ideas, and that's always going to be true. So, yeah, I mean, that's a bit of a sidestep there. But I think Benning is probably also uh, a good chance, especially if you can take advantage of their forthcoming squeeze and see if you can get them to give up on the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, how much do you think the economic impact of COVID will affect cash-poor teams' decision-making in the next couple of years? Could the Leafs take advantage of this? Um, significantly, and yes, this is a gigantic economic issue, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, it'll... You know, this is part of the reason why Freddie Anderson is said to be quite valuable. It's because he has a $5 million cap hit next year and only $1 million in actual salary because he had a $4 million signing bonus, which the Leafs have already paid. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I suspect you can find a taker for Freddie Anderson, no question. Yeah. Or some sort of return. It certainly increases his his trade value. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Unfortunately, you know, salary and cap hit are not unrelated. And obviously the Leafs are going to have cap concerns maybe forever, but certainly for the next few years, they will be pretty pronounced. And so the Leafs are going to definitely have to look to exploit disparities between salary and cap hit. Yeah. Um, I can't say more than to just note when there are deals that might back dive a little bit. Jake Muzzin's deal, if it comes to that, is probably going to be tradable towards the end. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Pits 88 had a bunch of questions, but they're pretty, they're pretty good. So we'll keep rolling with them. What should we realistically expect from Robertson next year? How sure are we that he doesn't spend another season in the OHL? Well, I mean, not that certain, but it doesn't seem like he has a lot to learn at that level. He's probably, he'd be best suited for the AHL, it seems, but even that's an open question about whether that's going to happen. Yeah, well, and I don't think he would be and he's not eligible either yeah that's the other thing yeah so i expect he will be in the nhl i'm not guaranteeing it if he comes in and he's terrible then probably not but i think he's gonna make it yeah uh i mean he 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 impressed them enough to make it in uh what's it in the in the playoffs right yeah and like i consider that a higher and rarer bar to be honest like i didn't think he would make it in the playoffs i thought Mm -hmm. it was an open question for next season so the fact that he's done it the first time probably suggests that he's gonna do it yeah what you should expect from him I think you should try and keep it cautious. Like, if he puts up 15 goals in the NHL next year, that's totally fine. Yeah. Like, that's that's in, that's very respectable, even from a guy who's, like, a scorer. And he <laughs> just has to not get snowed in in terms of, like, uh, his defensive impacts, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. I, I, I do want to emphasize, and I feel like I ring this bell a lot, but... The Leafs had three of the greatest rookies simultaneously in the history of the sport. Not in the sense that, like, Nylander or whatever was unprecedented, but having three guys that good all at once was pretty rare. Very rare. Very rare. And so, Robertson is probably not going to be on that level, nor should we expect him to be. If he comes in and he's, like, a decent third liner at age 20... Um, excuse me, at age 19. Jesus, he's so young. <laughs> yeah, his birthday's in September, right? So he's going to turn 19 soon if he hasn't already. Yeah, he's about to um, to turn 19. But I mean, that's incredible. If he does, again, good third line work at 19, that's terrific. So yeah, just, just keep them in check, but I expect he'll be there. 
And uh, what do you guys think of Travis Dermott, considering his age and development thus far? Does he have legitimate top four upside? Oh, I mean, how does, many times? Need... Yeah, we need to see it at some point. Like, It would be nice. Yeah, I'd love to find out. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly, I can't say that I know. We've discussed Dermott so much. Yeah, it, it feels like we, we go to this well a lot. I will just say, he can be very good on a third pairing. I've known that for multiple years now. I still do not know if he can move up. I've thought more than once, I don't think that it's that easy to move up the lineup. I think it's a bit of a challenge, and he'll have to do it right-sided if he does it. So, expectations should probably stay modest until we expect more, as will his salary. And, yeah, uh, we'll see. I don't have the hugest expectations from Travis Dermott, to be honest. Yeah, nor do I. I mean... It, it, it's it's just difficult for for him to he he's gonna have to as you said do this on his offside right because Riley and Muzzin are here for the foreseeable future um, Sandine appears to have the trust of the front office and you know Sandine's quite young too so he you know he's he's the new young hotness uh, that Dermot <laughs> was you know years ago yeah so we'll see um, yeah. Um... This one is directed to you uh, okay. from Canadian Beer Drinker. Please ask RV to break down just how good Austin Matthews is. I mean, I, I see no reason why you can't answer this question as well. Um, <laughs> no, he, he's, he's very, very good. Like, I think, you know, I, I, I wrote a piece, I think, maybe two years ago now, discussing how Matthews is, you know, one of the more unique uh, offensive players uh, in, in the world, simply because... He's um, one of the only players who combined elite shot generation with uh, above-average shooting locations and also elite shot um, efficiency, right? He, a shot from Austin Matthews from basically anywhere on the ice is better than a shot from that same shot from almost any other player. And under Keefe, that sort of went away a bit, but the rest of his game seemed to improve. And... You know, Katya and I have actually kind of argued about this back and forth because she she's mentioned a couple times that she thinks that Matthews was not as good this season as, as he was in prior seasons. And I can see, I understand where she's coming from because the offensive unicorn aspect is not as strong with Matthews as it previously was. The question is, do you think that this change has helped his defense? And, you know, to what extent do you think that has occurred, if it, you think it has occurred at all? And I tend to think that it has occurred to a greater degree than, than she does, which is why I think, you know, Matthews is a very, very good player. The, the, you know, I, as we've talked about, I would have had him, you know, probably in the lower end of the top five for, for MVP voting. He was, he was that good. He was, in, in the Mike Babcock era, he and William Nunez were really the only guys keeping the Leafs somewhat afloat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, Matthews is, is very good. And we, we shouldn't forget kind of how lucky we are as Leafs fans that we got Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, you could get first overall in a year where it's Neil Yakupov or even Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's a good player, but, you know, is no Austin Matthews. Right. And so, yeah, I think that that uh, authoritatively answers the question. Um, from Face McSteve, why would it make sense to move on from Anderson without ever having a solid defense in front of him? Would it be a mistake to assume that a bargain goalie could plausibly survive with Riley Muzzin and four, six, seven defensemen? Uh... Yeah, so, so Steve, Steve's showing his cards here mm-hmm. as to how he feels about that. Um, 
Yeah, uh, do you want to go or? Uh, so I'll just quickly say like the degree to which we can kind of remove goaltenders from the environment that they're in. I guess that that's up for debate in general, mm-hmm. right? If you believe in expected goals capturing, you know, a large part of shot quality, then in theory the Leafs then we we can account for this. And you know, we've seen that Anderson has been very good in years prior and was was not very good last year. Right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's not as if, you know, the Leafs are so uniquely bad defensively that they're leaving him out to dry in such a way that he can never possibly succeed. He he's done so. Right? Um and they were by many measures better defensively last year than they had been at any point in Anderson's Leafs career. So I, I think the premise of the question is up for debate in of itself, mm. basically. Yeah, I would say the case to move on from Anderson is you don't want his next contract because signing goalies to big term deals in their 30s is inherently very high risk. And is it plausible that a bargain goalie could survive? Maybe. Yes. It, it like is possible. I mean, we've, yeah. we just saw Jonas Corposalo, you know, put a Vezina quality season together in, you know, seven playoff games or whatever it was. You know, not seven, yeah. but like so you know, ten playoff games. I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I do, like, I certainly feel the wavelength that Steve is on here because yeah. I think what he's getting at is that it's pretty intimidating to think, okay, we're going to flip Anderson for someone untried and that could go really badly. And it certainly could. Um, I totally get where he's coming from and i think that that's a case not to at least be over eager to move on from freddie anderson as we said in response to the earlier question on the point i want someone who i think can at least be a 1a to jack campbell or i don't do it so yeah like i'm not doing it for some guy who's like a maybe friend shot um from our boss catching up uh, the whole problem with the Leafs is obvious. No one fears a Leaf, not even in a pile. So they need to change the logo to something scary and intimidating. The Toronto, what should it be? Um, you know, I would say the Toronto excess traffic in the downtown core. The Toronto... Show them a picture of the gardener at, like, any time. Yeah, that's, it's just that's a... pretty terrifying. It's a parking lot. Um, yeah, the Toronto unaffordable housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Toronto failure to invest in infrastructure and transit. Uh, the Toronto... I'm getting sad. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of something u- uniquely Torontonian. Well, yeah, but... those, are, like, those are kind of just big city things in general, right? Yeah, although probably worse. I mean... Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, Toronto housing is, is probably quite bad relative to North America. I'm, I'm sure the Bay Area and maybe Boston is worse and New York. But, you know, yeah, Toronto's housing market is, you know, notoriously pretty, pretty rough on so anyone who is not um, super, super wealthy. Oh, yeah. No, you'll, you'll pay 1500 for a shoebox. No mm-hmm. problem. So, yeah, uh, all of those things are terrifying. I have to say, um, the CWHL team had the Toronto Furies. Yeah. And honestly, I thought that that was, like, really a sick logo. And it was I a good it was logo. Good. I so I actually I should actually ask some uh, Nafio, who's uh, a women's hockey uh, expert, I'd say, um, about the kind of origin of the name. But I, I don't I don't know the origin of the Furies name. Oh, I, yeah, they were a Greek mythological creature that uh, there was sort of like dragon birdie things that would like oh, okay. howl oh. and torment you and like make your life hell. That's pretty. I badass. liked it. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. badass. 
Um, yeah. I guess the only downside to that name is like how close it is to furries. Mm, valid. That, is, that, that might lead to some, some fun misunderstandings with the mascot, but... Yeah. Um... <laughs> the, the other thing I want to say, the Toronto NWHL team, which is called the Toronto Six, with the oh. S in six, spelled by the letter six. Mm. Um, this, this was just a horrific name on so many levels. For one, you're, I, aligning, you're aligning yourself with Drake, who has nothing to do with hockey at all. Yeah. Right? But immediately makes you uncool, because Drake is just a very corny person, generally. He's an enormous dork. Like, the Raptors have had to work so hard to be at all cool in spite of him. They had to basically win a championship. Like, that's the only way that they've done it. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to be harsh, because, like, there's so much where it's like, I want to be encouraging. It's so hard to, you, you know, start a new team, to work your way up into the public consciousness but it's a bad name and they also got the color scheme from the ottawa senators which in Toronto is i think a mistake but anyway you get anyway don't don't do that guys <laughs> so yeah uh we mostly just talked about how sad we are about our city but that's where we're at mm-hmm. uh, um from jared clarkson What's one storyline from the Leaf season you feel didn't get enough attention or got too much attention? Certainly Toronto, I think, skews to the latter. <laughs> uh, uh, didn't get enough attention. I think that's probably a bit harder. So let's try and do that. Yeah. I think maybe just how disastrous the um, the the depth on Toronto was at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, it fell apart uh, down the stretch. Um, I'll be honest, and I don't want to overstate this, I think that a lot of people, this is probably more the got too much attention, but the coaching change, I think a lot of people thought that Mike Babcock was everything wrong with this team, Mm -hmm. and that Sheldon Keefe would be everything right with this team, and maybe there's a bit of a move away from that now, but I have to admit I'm sick of hearing, oh... I mean, look how awful Mike Babcock was. He was a prick, and he screwed some things up, but it's like, we're kind of past that now. Like, it doesn't do any good to talk about all the mistakes that Babcock and Lou made. I just, I like, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about it, because I'm like, one, I think often people overstate their case in, in doing that, but two, quite clearly they were not the only problem with this team, and now we got to live in the present. Right. So I think maybe the, the executive changes were overemphasized as being what was going to determine the uh the fate of the franchise yeah i think that's uh that's fair that's a good uh good thing to bring up Mm -hmm. uh our next up is from johnny joe star i've contended in the past that the leafs got too good too quickly and making the playoffs in 17 robbed the team of the opportunity to draft their final core piece would it be crazy for the Leafs to take a step back this season and retool a bit? And he puts in brackets, Boston is aging and Tampa Bay is going to have a cap crunch soon. Uh, I think that's interesting, but I do not think you take steps back when you have John Tavares in his late prime. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to have the sunk cost thing where it's like, oh, you know, because we made a bet that didn't work out with, with Tavares, we now have to double down on that bet. Um, but, you know... I, the Leafs are not a horrific team, right? I think it's worth mentioning. They're an above average. They're a good team. They're a playoff team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're in that range, 
especially when you're a relatively young playoff team, as the Leafs are. I, I don't think the goal should be to take a step back and get a lot worse to try and, like, I don't know, pseudo-tank for anything. So, yeah, I, to the extent that, to address the first part of the question where the Leafs got too good too quick, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's fair. Like, if the Leafs had another lottery pick uh, mm-hmm. after the 2016-17 uh, season, they'd be in a better spot, for sure. Um, but, I mean, that's that's just where we are, right? You can't do anything about that. Yeah, and I, I don't think the draft has been especially unkind to us, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we have to say we got... Or at least what I would say is, to the extent that the draft has been unkind to us, it has been our own failings in the latter rounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, if you look, like, let's say the Leafs moved up, uh, a certain number of slots in 2017. You know, I'd have liked Eric Brandstrom. And, you know, Nick Suzuki obviously stands out as being uh, quite an interesting player. But, I, you know, we, I don't guarantee that we, we would have taken them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, like certainly it would have helped. But I also think that, you know, you can't kind of go bam Stanley Cup sort of thing. And I think that part of the premise of this question is the understandable feeling that Either we're serious top five in the league contenders, or we really ought to be accumulating draft capital. And while I understand that from an asset perspective, I don't think that it's a way that you can really exist. You can't jump between the two uh, very efficiently. Sometimes you're just going to be good, but not great. And it is hard to move up from there, but it's very unlikely that you're going to get to jump from the very bottom to the very top. Unless you draft Sidney Crosby or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is from John Steitzer, manager of the Leafs Nation. Uh, if you were to build a robot to slay a minotaur, what attributes would be most important for your robot to have? Um, first of I... all, you want a GPS, because they're going to have to go into a labyrinth, I assume. Wait, but like, if, if the minotaur's in the lab, like, why, why do we have to get involved with this um, minotaur at all? Well, the premise of the question is we're building a robot to slay a minotaur. It's a given. We have a motive. Okay. Maybe we're being retained financially. I don't know. But we're killing this minotaur. Okay. So, yeah. So I guess, but you won't get cell reception in, in, in a labyrinth, I don't think. Well, I don't know. You have like a satellite phone. We don't know if it's a, it's like a roofed labyrinth or what it is. So I mean, open, I guess a labyrinth. It's an open is, air labyrinth. It's like a hedge maze. Um, <laughs> I guess... Probably you would assume a labyrinth would be underground. Okay, but you need some sort of tracking device, like some sort of way for the rob- robot to escape. Or, I mean, I guess we could just write off the cost of our robot. Like it gets in there, it kills the Minotaur, and then we say, okay, well done, power down. Um, but after that, I just want heavy explosives. You yeah. Know? I think like, I responded uh, to the suite. I said like a machine gun would be helpful. But right. The, but someone raised the point that like a Minotaur does... Do they have thick hides? Yeah, but like... Okay, so first of all, in the original myth, the Minotaur gets killed by a guy with a sword, doesn't he? You're asking the wrong person. Okay, well, I think that the point is by, like, Bronze Age technology. So presumably anything that's amenable to being killed with that can be killed by having a bunch of holes poked in it with a machine gun. Also true. Um, Yeah, it was... uh, Hang on, I'm looking in my deep knowledge, by which I mean Wikipedia, of (laughs) 
this. Yeah, so Theseus uh, kills the Minotaur. He volunteers to slay it. Yeah, kills it with the sword of Aegeus. Now, maybe it's like a magic sword. I don't know. But I think I just want to load it up with like a bunch of grenades. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Maybe that even solves the tracking issue when he can just blast his way out or something. Yeah. Push comes to shove, blow up a wall. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we want some way to get our robot out and we want a lot of high explosives. Thanks, John. Um, from Pseudo Lindenberg, would like to hear ideas about why it seems to have been easier for teams like Vegas and Tampa to force their opponents to play high event games than it was for the Leafs. Maybe they're just better. Yeah, yep. that's, that's yep. kind of what I would say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am afraid, but I don't think that that's really deniable. Like, they're probably just better teams. Well, in some sense, that's what being a good hockey team is, right? It's not, it's not like, the reason to pick on Buffalo again, it's not, the reason Buffalo is bad, it's not because they're like, okay, guys, so our goal is to get the teams to get, take a lot of shots against us and for us to let in those shots. Mm-hmm. Right, they're trying to do the same thing, but they're just not good enough to do it. Yeah. It's not like they don't want to be good or that they can't conceive of a strategy. It's just they're not able to impose it. And we talked about the Leafs' basic inability to impose their style of play on Columbus. Now, Columbus will still, like, they'll collapse. And they will, like, Tampa, for stretches, would be kept to the outside somewhat. But Tampa would get massive zone time and they would occasionally break through. Like, what Tampa seemed to do to me is just to be so dominant that Columbus's sort of turtling strategy is inadequate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the basic thing is just Tampa's better. Um, from Hoppy, Hockey Plug, 1345, who would be your top free agent targets? And if you have time, which I'm afraid we do not, uh, which teams would you want to trade with? I think we did, uh, we did look at some of that. But for free agent targets, I would say... Obviously, Alex Petrangelo is the pipe dream, and I've talked about how I don't want to trade Alex Kerfoot. I would do it if I was confident I was getting Petrangelo. Yeah, I mean, Petrangelo's it's interesting. It's <laughs> This team is too top-heavy. Let's get one more elite player and completely sacrifice depth. Fuck it. <laughs> I don't care about anything anymore. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris Tanev... I probably don't want, but if in some way he ends up being undervalued, which I don't expect, I might knock on that door. Um, yeah, and then in terms of free agents, there is sort of a... This is a bit galaxy brainy, but I could see an argument for if you really think you can flip something for Freddie and if Corey Crawford is really cheap and you think you can get one more year out of him. Yeah, I mean, you do Crawford, it, you free Crawford's up some old, cap. Right? He, I mean, not yeah, in he's 35. Sense, he's 35, which is old for a goalie. And it's, it's, you're at that point where, okay, it's like this guy could just start sucking for any reason whatsoever. And yeah. that's it. That's just who he is at this point. Yeah. Like, it's very, very hard. Yeah. And I mean, that is the only reason. Like, there's a scenario where you get above average goaltending out of Corey Crawford for less, and you don't have to give him any term. And you can say maybe on the flip, you've somehow benefited with, with Anderson. I, I don't know. I have to admit I'm leery of my own idea there, but you know I'm putting the possibility on the table. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of who do we trade with, I think we've we've talked about the teams like uh, Carolina, Anaheim, Minnesota, who always seem to have more defense than we do. And that's and not so, hard. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's uh, that's how I leave it. Um, from Jake beliefs, 
Lots of talk about trades. What is the one thing the Leafs need to address to actually be good? Is it a positional vacancy? Is it strategy? Is it the goalie? If you're Dubas, what is priority one? I, I mean, think... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm going to say, I think it's what everyone thinks it is. I think it's top pair right defenseman. Sometimes it's just the obvious answer. The one thing I'll say is the Leafs didn't get great goaltending last year, right? And there is essentially no way to succeed in the NHL if you don't get good goaltending. Yeah. It's, it's the single most important thing you can, you can have. Or at least it's the single most identifiable thing. Team shooting is obviously just as important, but that's spread out over 20 players as opposed to two at most. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that's, that's really what it comes down to. The problem is saying, okay, Freddie, just do better. It, that's not a great plan. You can't really, like, I mean, I'm sure Freddie was trying. Uh, so in the, in the context of, like, what can the Leafs do to ensure they get good goaltending, it, it's, that's not immediately obvious, right? Like, Freddie is probably still their best bet at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, like, you've got to play someone with Morgan Riley who's better than he's had in the past. Yeah. Like, I just, like, come on. You know? <laughs> and so I don't think that will solve everything because despite, you know, I know Jake said, what is the one thing the Leafs need to address? One move is never going to fix everything, but that would be the first priority for sure. Um, this one's from Doom King. When re-signing forwards, you usually end up paying for points and players like Ryan O'Reilly get underpaid. Uh, anyway, my question is, does Marner have like any of that defensive value that can make his contract look better? Um, for what it's worth, Marner does seem like, if you trust uh, Micah McCurdy's isolated XG impacts, Marner appears to have some, some real defensive value. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think, there's nothing that's going to make that contract look good. No, because the, the reality is not like, doable. the issue isn't that Marner doesn't provide more than $11 million worth would on the UFA market. It's that the, like, I'd rather spend that money on Marner than, than say, get Artemi Panarin right? Because Marner's going to age a lot better than Panarin will just because of where they are in their careers. Mm-hmm. The issue is that the, what we should have done or what teams typically do when dealing with RFA players is extract a lot more surplus value than we are going to end up doing. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, it's a question of the, the reasonable expectations, Right? Right. Marner's contract, in terms of dollars per win, is almost certainly going to be better than John Tavares's. But yeah. the expectations for John Tavares and for us signing him is like, we might not even get him. Right? And mm-hmm. getting him is, is, is a win because you're adding, you know, a lot of value uh, in the first couple of years of his deal, first three or four years of his deal. The kind of expectation from uh, dealing with Marner's contract is we should be able to extract value from this RFA. Right? That's the base case. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's why it kind of almost independent of what Marner does, that deal is never going to look great. Sim- and similarly, like as good as Leon Dreisaitl is, I don't think like, they should have got him for cheaper. They're not like mad yeah. about it because you know he's a uh, Art Ross winner, but mm-hmm. yeah, they sh- they should have got him for cheaper. Yeah, like that'll always be the bottom line is. When you're saying what someone should have done, you have to look at what they could have done differently and compare and. Marner looks like a pretty clear case of we, to judge by the market, could have gotten him cheaper. I mean, the circumstances of the negotiation were very difficult, but that's the bottom line and we'll never get around it. But he is, I think he's a decent defensive winger. I think he does 
more than his size maybe implies that he should be able to do, and credit to him for that. So, from Shatner Shaman, are we living in a far less cool cyberpunk dystopia? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, undeniably. I wish we had some at least cool teleporting technology or something to make up for it, but... So, I mean, I, I, I'm convinced that t- if teleportation was a thing, it would just be horrific. It would be awful. Would it be really bad? It would, yeah, it would be terrible. Because, like, you think we're get, we're going we're gonna to get economy class transportation. Or teleportation. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, we're, we're not getting nice teleportation. So we're getting, like, horrible teleportation yeah. where you get, like, chafed skin and shit? Yeah, and, like... and it's like, you, you can only teleport with, like, it'll be like Animorphs where, you know, when you <laughs> teleport, you only get bike shorts and, like, a t-shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't teleport with your clothes. I enjoyed that twist in Animorphs where it was like, what was the, the logic on that? Where it's like, yeah, skin-tight fabric, but as soon as there's a little bit of airspace, nah. Yeah. No loose plaid shirt for you. Uh, yeah, no, everything sucks. So, which UFAs that could reasonably be bargain bin players would be of interest to the Leafs? And please share a picture of your cats. I am proud to report I did option B already. Uh, this is from Psychic Octopus. I think we've talked about UFAs. So, I mean, I can name a couple of bargain bin guys. Spezza and Gordon are kind of the, the trendy guys. Like, get the golden oldies together. Yeah, bring back Spezza. Just do it. He was, he was like, excellent in his role, right? And he, yeah, he seems yeah. to, you know, want to come back. By all accounts, everyone on the team loved him. Yeah, um, give him, you know, 800 grand. Done and done. Yeah, one, um, of, the, one of the few guys uh, who makes PP2, like, not... <laughs> not completely unbearable because he actually still has, <laughs> he has he still has puck skills right he can't move anymore but he has puck skills yeah so i those, think those that he can be go. totally he'll fine. be like 80 years old and he'll still have great hands yeah that's what i think about thornton too where it's like if you can just airlift him to a location where he can make passes he'll still be good mm-hmm. um and then yeah uh radko gudas might not be quite bargain bin but i think he could be inexpensive dylan demello is another one you might get him not that pricey uh, I'm just thinking of a couple of guys who might slip in there. Unfortunately, you know, the bargain bin, if you're looking on defense, I keep saying this, we have enough third pair defensemen. Yeah, we, we really need a guy who can step in above them. Like, we don't yeah. need another Justin Hall. No, uh, we have a, a lot of guys who can do that job. It's a question of uh, getting someone who can play with Riley. So uh, this was a fun one from uh, our colleague, Kevin Papetti. How many seventh round picks would you need to be offered in order to agree to trade Austin Matthews? Let's say that Seattle has every team's seventh round pick for the foreseeable future. So this is interesting. So down goes Brown kind of, I, I didn't read the article, but I remember him tweeting about this. He, he kind of said, did the same thing about with Dick David, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's almost like an inhuman amount, right? So there is no quantity. I want to be clear what I'm saying here. There is no amount of sevens that you could give me before I would make that trade. So I, I should have done this research beforehand because I remember thinking, oh, this is an interesting question. And I should look this up. because I, like, I did a little bit. Okay, so I guess my question is, let's say you have the, the last 10 years of seventh rounds, right? You, like, you just own all those players. Ignore the fact that you don't have dev space for all of them. Assume that you can like loan them out somehow. Um, so assume you have all those players. Who do you get out of it, out of 10 years of seventh round picks? Okay, so here's the first thing. There is a 90-man reserve list in the NHL that includes your unsigned draft picks. Right, you aren't allowed to have... We're ignoring... I think we have to ignore that rule. That's, like, part of the premise of the question, I think. But, like, it doesn't make... Okay, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. I just say... Because we're already ignoring dev space. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, 
let's let's trust that you can shelve a lot of these guys somewhere. Okay. Like they'll be because most of them won't be in the organization for a few years. Yeah, like mo- most and of they'll them, just most be wherever just they would avoid be signing to an ELC, right? Realistically. Yeah. But to be clear, the 90-man list is as soon as you draft yeah. them, they count against it. So right there, you're capped well before this value. But the best players in history drafted in the seventh round ever are Doug Gilmore, Henrik Zetterberg, Joe Pavelski, I think. Well, Datsuk was a sixth rounder? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, see, see uh, that, that's the thing. You, you, you lose out a surprising amount with the sixth rounders. Yeah. <laughs> now, if we do like a sixth round, that's an entirely different thing. Um. I don't think any of those players is guaranteed to be better than Austin Matthews by the end of his career. I think he could outperform all of them. And so I genuinely think there's no quantity where I think it's worth it. Just there's no way that I think you can get any adequate return on this. Yeah. Where you get enough good players. Now, maybe you hit it out of the park. There's always a chance, right? But... You would have to have so many good draft hits in order for this to pay out. And I just don't think that it's at all likely, frankly. Um, I know Kevin's just having fun with this one, but it's like, you know, you could have, you could easily have a few seventh rounds in a row where you get one player. Yeah. Um, Most certainly. Like, uh, to pick a year out of a hat, like, let's say you had the whole seventh round in 2012 and you drafted all of those players. Well, uh, you got Nikita Gusev. That's something. Um, yeah. And that's assuming you maintained your rights to him. Mm-hmm. And you got Kristen Juice. Juice? I can't pronounce words. And Joachim Ryan, who are like end of roster players. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so it's like, that's your return on 30 of these. And that's just one example. But like, you can take several of them. It's just, it's bloody hard to get any kind of adequate return on your investment. And a lot of the guys who are even counted as successes in the seventh round are like fringy guys. Right. Like once every few years, there's Andre Palat or something who's actually good. But yeah, so that like, just having some fun here. But like, no, there is no amount. You could give me the entire seventh round for the next decade. And let's assume that I somehow find a way to break the 90-man reserve list rule. And I still probably don't do it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's also like the time value of, of, right. of wins, right? Like, <clears throat> like, do they accumulate is the other thing. Like, by the time some of them are getting good and needing new contracts. And then, like, you, like, <laughs> you don't get the whole sample at once, right? You get them over 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, it's it's not viable. Um, from DJ Cinnamon, you raised the point a couple of weeks ago that I've been thinking about for a while. Until the Kapanen trade, Dubas hadn't really decisively won a trade. Why do you think that is, and how do you think that can change? Uh, it's hard. I mean that sincerely. To win a trade, the other side generally has to be wrong about a player in a way that you can take advantage of. Yeah, and winning a trade—you know—some of it is also disparity of position, but but it, it's generally it arises from a fundamental mismatch in how two teams value players, right? Generally speaking. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to keep your ears open, but you have to do that, and you have to hit them at a point where 
there's no one else who's taking advantage in the same way. Like, that's what I'm thinking in terms of, like, you know, acquiring a player. Let's say that his team really undervalues him for some reason. Uh, like, let's let's just imagine a beautiful scenario where the Anaheim Ducks were the opposite of in love with Josh Manson, and they actually they thought he was crap for some reason. Well, if Anaheim is doing its job, it's still talking to different teams, and one of them might want Josh Manson, and that raises, raises the price on it, even though it seems like Anaheim is set up to get robbed. Yeah. Um, you know, you need a lot of luck. You need a lot of things to come together for you in order to really get that imbalance. Even with Kasperi Kapanen, if he's not drafted originally by the Pittsburgh Penguins and Rutherford doesn't really know him, do we get that trade? Do we get that kind of value on it? I doubt it. I think that played a role. So I think the process that we heard about from Dubas, where he was clearly contacting a lot of teams, shopping, demanding high prices and saying, come up to me, I'm not going down to you. Mm -hmm. And... Maybe eventually that starts to pay out. He's going about it what sounds like the right way. It's just very hard to get in the right position for that. Yeah. Um, this is also from DJ Cinnamon. Something else I've been thinking about for a while. Aside from the glaring need at right defense, which we assume will be addressed, do you think it's more important to remake the defense or to remake the bottom six forwards in order to improve the overall team defense? And defense. Why? Yeah, defenseman. Yeah. Um, and, like I would say... The top six forwards, I, so I, I've kind of banged the drum about the Leafs forwards are not very good defensively by and large either, um, but that falls more on the top six forwards because they're just going to be playing more minutes and against better players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I would, I would agree with that. So, yeah, uh, we, I think we've addressed some of that, so I'll ask forgiveness from DJ for not running too long because we still have a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. We're doing our best. Um this is from Shai Ruibos. I apologize if I've mispronounced that handle. Mike Sajak is the, the name on it. One of the Leafs' advantages in free agency is the resources to front-load contracts. Will this be less of an advantage in the short term since FAs may want lower salary slash bonus in the early years of a contract because of the COVID haircut on compensation? Um, conceivably. But money now is always worth more than money later. So... It will depend on the person, I expect. The truth is we're not going to be shopping big in free agency probably for a while, unless we really unload. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure you'll see it as much. I think you'll, in terms of like the Leafs will use it to make a big acquisition, I think you'll still see the Leafs giving those kind of early bonuses and maybe it'll help a little bit. It doesn't seem like it's really had that huge an impact, except possibly John Tavares. But I think everyone would have given them bonuses, so... Uh, from Leafs Lurker 96, Tampa has three RFAs in Chirelli, Sergachev, and Chernak. How is it Chernak or Chernak? I'm a it, it's, disaster. It's Chernak, I think. Chernak. Okay, good. How likely is an offer sheet for any of these guys, and why should it be the Leafs signing Chernak in the second round compensation range? Um, I mean, I, I, I think someone should offer sheet those guys. Yeah. Right? Uh, nobody will. No one will. With, um, <laughs> with Chernak. So wait, what, what is the second round, uh, uh, second round compensation? That's, that's uh, you can go up to it? around four point one million. How, how do we get the room for that? Like we have to basically salary dump, uh, Janssen at that point. Yeah. Um, which, I think that that's defensible. Yeah. How good you think Chernak is? He's 
you know, he's been playing very tough competition. His results have not been that great mm-hmm. that I can discern. And I would be a little worried about his capacity to translate them. Also, you know, if, if it turns out that he's kind of getting carried to what success he has had, mm-hmm. uh, then you're on the hook for, say, $4.1 million for X number of years. Um, I think someone should absolutely take a run at Chiarelli. Like, a, not, not us, we can't afford it, but I, I think teams should pursue mid-level offer sheets. I've believed that for a long time. Yeah. I thought someone should have mid-level offer sheeted Kapanen uh, last year, and we, we probably wouldn't have matched. I mean, who knows how that would have gone. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, so I, I apologize for a bit of a disappointing answer. It's a good idea. I don't think anyone will do it, and I really don't think the Leafs will do it. Yeah, I just think we're so constrained, right? Yeah. It, it's, it would be a, a really cool move for someone with a lot of space to do. Um, so if Ottawa ever decides that it has money again. But, uh, yeah. Uh, this is from Paolo Belmonte. Are there any players that you'd like to see the Leafs acquire that don't fit the Dubas mold or are not looked at too favorably in analytics circles but bring a certain intangible element that the team needs or would benefit from a change of scenery? So it's basically saying, like, do you have, like, a, a guilty favorite almost? where you're convinced this player is better than his stats or is, you know, not a typical Dubas player. Um, there are players I think are better than their analytics for sure. But... Yeah, I mean... I would be very leery of acquiring someone I thought was genuinely bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the players who are better than their analytics, I, I, I tend to default of the players who I've seen a lot, which are almost always already Leafs. Because right. I watch a handful of other games, right? And I've been following the playoffs and watching the playoffs, but I don't watch enough of any other one specific team to be like, oh, that guy is definitely way better than his his numbers. I, in general, I trust the numbers a lot more than I trust my eyes. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you one player who I always think looks better than his numbers. It's Anthony Mantha, mm-hmm. who I think... Every time I see him, I'm thinking this guy should be a star. Like, he, he just looks unbelievable to me when we play Detroit. And Detroit kind of sucks. So, <laughs> to look really good on Detroit. Now, that said, his production this year when healthy has been quite high. So, maybe he's already there and he's not really undervalued. But then his analytics are never very good. So, um, maybe he's an example. I, I mean, I've been banging the Josh Manson drum in defiance of reality for a while now. But he's probably... I mean, I guess you would say he's not a conventional Dubas defenseman. On the other hand, Dubas did go out and get Jake Muzzin, who at least is not the kind of player Dubas is stereotyped to like. Now, he's always had great analytics, but yeah. So there's no one who I think I would be gung-ho to get who's like really bad Mm -hmm. in the number sense. But, you know, uh, there are players that I would probably have some interest in if they became available, I guess. But I think that, you know, players with bad analytics, but who have much else, they're probably overvalued rather than the reverse, so. Yeah. Um, This is for Danis Dan Ever. Do you ever play Dungeons & Dragons? I've never done that. No, I haven't. All right, well, we're going to be incompetent to answer this, but what character should I roll for my next D&D 5e campaign? I'm looking for some spellcasting, damage-dealing fun. Top Um, pair-right defenseman. Top pair-right defenseman. Get Alex Petrangelo. But with, like, some spells where he can enchant people into frogs and shit from a distance? I think that'd be an unstoppable pairing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from Neil Mark 17 
Would you rather see the Leafs try to hold on to the first round pick they acquired for Pittsburgh or package it into a deal to try to get better right away? I think we answered that one. Yep. Okay, so apologies to Neil. I think you'll hear your answer earlier. Uh, from Riley Rump, that's a fun name. Would you consider it a failure on Dubas's part to go into next season with the roster as is, assuming he resigns the pending RFAs? Yes. Yes. Uh, he's got to do more than this. I think he knows it. I think he said as much. Uh, from Alex Simond. Will the Leafs ever win a first-round series in my lifetime? I'm 35. Uh, it's hard not to think no sometimes, but realistically, yes. They've been so close so many times. Like, come on. Like, they could easily have beaten Boston, and I know that that's, like, a shallow consolation, but, like, there's no reason they can't win a first-round series next mm -hmm. year. Um... From Aaron J. Sam, what is your ideal slash realistic top six D-man on the Leafs next season, assuming they can't, won't clear enough space to land Pietro? Um, why don't I just stick with what... I, I'm just going to keep saying Josh Manson to every question now. I'm committed. <laughs> Riley Manson, Muzzin Hall, and then Sandin and Dermott. Yeah, I, I, I think we've covered this with our defenseman acquisitions questions, so I don't think we need to spend too much time on it. Uh, yeah, so, but, but something like that. Uh, look for those mid-level guys and slot someone in next to Riley. Uh, from Biebs, if you know you can't resign Riley in two years, do you trade him and when? Um, I would be surprised if you can know that. Yeah, and it, it's, this is, I think this is like the over-asset management. Now, look, I think it's an interesting question to trade Riley, but I think mm -hmm. the reason to do so is because his value around the league might be higher than his value on the ice. Because, you know, we've talked yeah. about what gets defensemen paid. It's points and time on ice. Riley has a lot of both. But he has other flaws in his game, right? We, we all know that. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that's uh, certainly valid. Um, from Aaron Kinney 9 do you think the Leafs would have any interest in a right-hand defenseman from Columbus outside of Jones? Jackets desperately need scoring. And they have a ton of solid defensemen that can't get much ice time when three is setting records for minutes played in a single game. Yeah, I mean, um, th there are people who are who are interesting there, right? Um, I guess David Savard and Ryan Murray are, are the examples. The thing about it is, like, for different reasons, I'm not sure either of them I'd be super comfortable with. Yeah, with Savard, it's, I think he only has one year left on his deal, doesn't he? Yes. And he's 30... One? He's 29. 29, okay. Yeah. Murray's a bit older. Murray's younger. Murray's he just okay, feels so young. I'm just, I'm just because... adding shit, absolute shit then. No, um, well, I think Murray seems like he, sh he should be older because we remember him getting drafted so high. Yeah, yeah. Way back right. in the day, and he's had so many injuries. So he's already had like an eight-year career mm -hmm. uh, filled with woe and sorrow. But he's also a UFA in one year. So like both of these guys would be expiring in a year anyway. And then you have to decide what you want for their next contract. I think they're Ryan good Murray, players. Given how they, often... they would be our best right defenseman, and like they, yeah. I guess to the it can be a little tricky to untangle. Um, it can be a little tricky to untangle their defensive ability versus Columbus's system and their forwards and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I trust that they're reasonably decent. So I think they'd be yeah. valuable distance to the Leafs. It's just at, at what cost. I, I'm not. I'm interested in them. I'm not completely ruling it out. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want them to be the main piece if we're trading the um, the fifteenth overall, for example. Though. Yeah, I agree. Like that's kind of a. Like if for some reason they're in love with Andreas Janssen or something, maybe you structure a deal around that. But I don't know that it's a natural trade fit. Um, 
we've talked a lot about us not having a lot of middle-class assets to trade. And I don't know that there's a real thing that works out there. Um, this one's from Leifer 1984. And I think this is a, a bigger one that we've talked about. How do you both feel about quality of competition and zone starts? Do you apply it when evaluating players? I mean, you certainly have to look at it, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The all-in-one metrics that purport to um, you know, adjust for this stuff, I believe they generally do adjust for this stuff well, but it's, of course, not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to look at how players are used and how they're trusted by their coaches um, when evaluating them, even if you look at these, you know, context-neutral stats. Uh, I think looking at leverage, which is something that Michael McCurdy has kind of pioneered, um, and I think it's only available on his site, you know, looking at how important the minutes that they play are, offensively and defensively. Does a goal here add a lot to your chances of winning, or are they playing you when the game's only out of reach, or, you know, are they playing you when you really need a stop? Things like that. That's also very important, because mm -hmm. that really tells you, okay, who, who, who gets trusted? Yes. Uh, I will be honest... For defensemen, quality of competition, I still, it plays a big role in my thinking. Probably more than just what appears on the isolation, and that might be a little bit retrograde of me, but I've seen too many guys who were good third-pair defensemen with terrific Corsi who couldn't do it at the next level up. And now that's not to say that's always what happens, mm -hmm. because there are players who have done that. Uh, Nate Schmidt comes to mind. And done well off the lineup. You yeah. know, sometimes they really are in due for a promotion. But Staying in Vegas, Shea, Shea Theodore was a third-pairing guy in Anaheim. He was very young, and they had a lot of defensemen at the time, right? So he would yeah. have moved up. But, yeah, like, that, that's another example. Yeah, so I, I would say it plays a role in my thinking. I still find myself thinking, okay, he hasn't done it yet if he's showing, like, softer competition. And, and I, this is really for defensemen. For forwards, I kind of feel like like, it still matters, but either you're at the top end where you're, like, contending for the Selkie, or you're a fourth-line guy who plays fourth-line guys, and then most of the league is in the middle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it plays a role in my thinking. I also wouldn't get too carried away about, with it. Zone starts, again, they matter, but there's a certain amount of evidence that they have to be very, very skewed to really matter. Um, so I, I probably put less on that. Um, music recommendations. So, I have a bunch for these. Yeah, go for it. Uh, this is from Livestream87. He said, from the wide world of indie. Um, I have... Okay, I have a running playlist in iTunes, which I still use, uh, that has, like, my favorite songs of the year. It has 132 songs on it uh, for Year of Our Lord 2020. I went down to five. So, uh, June 21 by Proto Martyr, who are, like, very anxious post-punk, but they kind of sound how 2020 feels which mm -hmm. is not the most enticing thing but they're like very real at the moment uh kadir by nick hakeem is like a big sweeping beautiful r&b song and it has maybe the best drum beat i've ever heard uh mets who are a garage rock band from toronto they have some uh some homegrown content there they have a song called a boat to drown in which is just like a straight ahead break the doors down rocker mm -hmm. i'm noticing a theme uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, Thou and the Get Down Stay Down have a song called Phenom, which is like kind of a funk song, has like a great little beat. And then For Her by Fiona Apple, which was off uh, her album this year that everyone went kind of crazy for. I think that one is like a really great vocal performance where she just absolutely wails it out. So 
I hope at least one of those is enjoyable. Um, I periodically do these like little song posts uh, on Twitter and everyone's like, who are these people? But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe I mean, one of them will be. So right. on, on my end, uh, mm-hmm. actually, this is a record you pointed out to me, probably in one of those song posts, uh, King Cruel. Yeah. It has a yeah. recent record that I, I really enjoyed. And the name is unfortunately escaping me right now uh, of what the Man record alive. is. Pardon? Man, Man alive. alive, yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I quite liked Fiona Apple's album, but everyone did. So <laughs> not, not, the exact, not exactly the unique hard-hitting uh, insight that, that you would get. Uh, Glass Animals had a recent record, which I think probably mm. wasn't that well-reviewed, but I liked it. Yeah, yeah, no, they, have, they have some cool sounds. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very distinctive in terms of, like, the electronic noise they get going on. So, yeah. Um, okay, this next one's from Connor Walsh. I think we've answered it from the other side, but it's why do people seem so anxious at the idea of moving Freddy for assets and to free up cap? Uh, goaltender performance is extremely volatile year to year, so to me, holding on to him is just as risky as going to the bargain bin. I mean, this is interesting. It's the mirror of yeah, that other question. I guess, I guess you're not wrong, but it's if you're saying every goalie's a a coin flip, then yeah, I would agree, right? But I, I don't think every goalie is a coin flip. I, I I do like to think that there is, you know, some value in Anderson's you know, historically pretty good performance. Mm-hmm. So I think he's slightly better than a coin flip to, you know, be decent next year. And maybe this is me being biased by his strong playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, a, that's, a, that's not an unreasonable take, I don't think. Yeah, I, I certainly understand why you would look at doing it. I, I don't think it's just as risky. I think that's overstating the case. Yeah. But I think you can make an argument that you can downgrade in terms of expense there, and you might not wind up downgrading much in terms of performance. Or downgrading He added a follow-up that I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the Jake Allen deal just occurred, I want to add another question to my previous tweet. If Allen can fetch a third-round pick after years of underperforming, can the Leafs get a similar slash better return for Anderson than they got for Camp? Dear, and I will- dear God, I hope it's better. Yeah. <laughs> no, he said better return for Anderson than they got for Kapanen. Oh, for Kapanen. Oh, I'm sorry. I misheard. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that's then... interesting. I mean... I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it just because the goalie market's never... It's, it's never like that, right? Because teams are mm-hmm. so uncertain of paying for a guy who will then put up a, a 904. There was an interesting thing just that I found way back when Jake uh, blah, 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 James Reimer got traded to the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. And he was like a deadline rental. But he went for... Uh, a fourth that upgraded to a third. And a lot of people were like, oh my God, that's nothing. Um, if you look at the market for goalie rentals, they pretty much always go for third round picks. With one big exception where the Blues went insane and overpaid for Ryan Miller and got bounced immediately in the playoffs. Um, but it's remarkable how low the return is for these kinds of goalies. Now you would get more for Anderson, I think, because he's been a starter. But it's still only one year left. So it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if the market on Anderson is like a second round pick. So, I don't know. Um, This is from Denver, Canada. Uh, Two questions. If you were Sheldon Keefe, would you have dressed Robertson or Johansson for game five? And would you have dressed Sandin or Marincin? I would have dressed Robertson and um, Marincin. Same. I... I think it was a lot to ask of Janssen to come in cold. 
into game five. And again, that's partly why I suspect that there was a bit of showcasing going on there, just to show that he's proof of life almost. Uh, I think we probably got to make a distinction with Rasmus Sandin between what he can be and what he currently is. Because what he currently is, is like an okay third pair defenseman. He's young enough that he's doing it, that the fact that he's doing it is quite impressive. But Marincin probably does as well. Um, and then also that, has the PK. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I know that people, people kind of blame him for that, that crazy goal that was the backbreaker. Um, you know, the Leafs made a terrible line change. Uh, Liam Foody wound up scoring one from the goal line that Freddie should have had. And Marincin was kind of between Foody and the net, and he was a little bit backed off. I actually think Marincin played that one fine. Marincin was like the only guy who did anything approaching a hockey play on that, <laughs> on yeah. that sequence. Yeah, and like people said, you know, like he should have been more aggressive, but it's like if he gets sidestepped, which is a definite risk from a player as quick as Liam Foody. And when he's then, Martin Marincin. And he's Martin Marincin then Foodie is alone point blank with the goalie. That's your nightmare scenario. And so the fact that Marincin got him to wind up shooting from a pretty bad angle that Freddie probably should have had, like, that's adequate defense as far as I'm concerned. He's the least culpable person on the ice. Yeah, like, I mean, if if, if Freddie has that, we probably don't think anything of that, deal, of that uh, move besides, oh, that was a weird line change. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I don't blame... Marty for that one. You can blame Marty for lots of things, to be clear, but yeah. I don't... Yeah. Uh, and finally, we've made it to what appears to be the last question, as per Twitter, uh, from Dadloop. If we assume that the Leafs are going to move Freddie, do you think their best option is to pursue another legit 1A goalie, or to find a cheaper 1B option with the intent to see what they have in Campbell? Um, this is a tricky distinction to make. Another legit 1A goalie sounds to me like Robin Lehner. Yeah. And I'm a little leery of that. Mm -hmm. So I probably don't do that. If I can get someone who's more cost controlled, who's somewhat cheaper, but who has a chance of showing that he can be a starter, uh, that would be probably the way I would go. But I, I don't, I mean, I think what we have in Campbell is like a backup to one B guy. So. Yep. I yeah. agree. Okay. Uh, Wow. Uh, so we come in just over two hours, but I think we got everyone. If we missed your question, I am so, so sorry. I tried, but there were a ton if of... If we missed your question, you know it must have really sucked. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I hope we got everything. So thank you all for listening. And uh, yeah, woo! All right, yep. Uh, so I guess I'll do the outro now. Sorry, that was a really, really disjointed yeah. outro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can you can find all of mine of stuff at passionhandpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFoodman. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye.